it's very easy to get depressed around this. But sometimes the fact that we're upset is a sign of mental health. The fact that we have not been upset about these things is the lack of mental health. Welcome to the first episode of a special interview miniseries, Changing Finance and Financing Change. In order to jumpstart the economy after COVID-19 and make real transformation feasible, the Rethinking Finance Hub of the Club of Rome is consulting with some of the brightest world leaders to capture their ideas. Today, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews former 2020 U.S. presidential candidate, best-selling author and philanthropist Marianne Williamson on her ideas for systemic change. This episode is also available as a video on YouTube and investment-turnaround.com. Enjoy! In a post-COVID-19 world, how can we jumpstart the economy and avoid going back to old ways, the trickle-down system that did not work as we saw um, after the financial crisis? I think millions of people now recognize that this did not come out of nowhere, that the vulnerability, at least in my country, to this virus was the product of bad policy. In my country, 37 out of 47 pandemic centers had been closed. There had been a diminished uh, investment, not only in the science and medical research and the scientific and, and healthcare systems that were necessary, should there be a global catastrophe, but across the board, not just in terms of pandemics, also in terms of nuclear power, also in terms of climate and weather catastrophe. We have been skating on very thin ice for a very long time. People recognize this. And they know, therefore, that going back to quote unquote normal is going back to a state of systems vulnerability. So this is a very good time for us to think about ways that the system needs to change in order that this level of vulnerability would not exist in the future. In the United States, this definitely has to do with our healthcare system. And it has to do with all kinds of ways in which economic justice becomes uh, uh, more of a priority. In my country, we already had a situation where 40% of Americans could not afford an unexpected $400 expenditure. The day of that unexpected expenditure has now come and gone. And so we have food banks that are overwhelmed. We have a coronavirus bailout package That, that perpetuates the same unjust system that gives to the few at the expense of the many. And whereas we already had tens of millions of people living with chronic economic despair, that number will actually be exponentially increased the longer this problem goes on. So our need to interrupt all of those patterns through the appropriate research, the appropriate systems, a change in our healthcare system, a, a greater availability of higher education, a removal of the burden of these college loans will be urgently needed or a level of chaos could await us unlike anything we have seen in the modern era. So um, how would you, in what order would you do this? How would you prioritize it? Um, one, the first part of the question. The second is each of these systems have an immune system. They resist change. It's, uh, how, how would you suggest going around, around <clears throat> that? 
we have in my country and around the world the people and the practices, the projects, the ideas, the best practices which pave the way to a sustainable future. That's not the problem. It's not like we don't have the answers. It's not like we don't have the solutions. The problem is that our government does more to fund and to advocate for the problem creators than it does to fund and to advocate for the problem solvers. This is a matter then of political will. And we have uh, in our country, in my country, a, a presidential um, race uh, contest that is coming up in a few months. And on the other side of that, no matter who wins, uh, we have much healing to do, which must uh, deal with the cancer underlying all the other cancers, and that is the undue influence of money on our political system. In the United States, we need a constitutional amendment that would uh, make uh, public funding available for all federal campaigns. The problem is multidimensional. It's an all systems breakdown. So when you say, what would we do first? I'm afraid that it's already too late to think in terms of, of what we're going to do first. We're already at such a point of emergency. We have to do many things at the same time. And and how do you see that occurring? Where is I mean, in a country where uh, I think last time I looked, uh, there were like 26 million unemployed people. Yes, there is a lot of money uh, going down, um, being made available. Whether that reaches the 26 million, that's a different question. Um, well, not only that, but even when the money is available, what money we're talking about, and not nearly enough is being available. We've had an increase in un unemployment payments, but in addition to that, only a $1,200 um, uh, one-time payment. People are having their uh, their rent delayed, but then they'll only have 12 months in which to, to make up the difference. So even when you're talking about money that is being put out into people's pockets, even among those uh, who receive the money, all we're talking about is people kept at near, near survival level. That will not be enough to stimulate uh, the economy because it will not be enough to stimulate people's lives. We need, um, much like our, our presidents, uh, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, during the Great Depression, had the New Deal, which was a fundamental systems change. That is the kind of thing we need. We need a fundamental system change. We need a, um, uh, a universal, a package of universal health care, Medicare for all system of some kind. We need to remove the college loan debt. We need to, to make uh, higher education at state colleges and universities free. We need to um, get rid of the ridiculous corporate subsidies that sucks out and, uh, all of the money in our country and places it into the hands and the pockets of a very few. We need to roll back the $2 trillion tax cut that gave 83 cents of every dollar to the very richest among us. And we need to forge a political movement that can somehow bypass the tremendous institutional and economic resistance to doing any of the things that I just spoke of. Yeah, um, another thing that I find um, interesting is we all talk about the pandem pandemic, uh, COVID-19, um, and uh, we've been warned by people who knew what we're doing, like Bill Gates, for many years as to, you know, to get ready, and we did not. And the Club of Rome, of which I am a member, has actually warned the world about climate change for, for the past 50 years, and we did not uh, heed those warnings. So if we now uh, think that 
COVID-19 is a big crisis, we ha- ain't seen nothing yet because uh, climate change is uh, upon us. We have uh, the scientists tell us that uh, we only have 10 years to get ready, to prepare, to avoid the worst. And another thing that another direction that we also don't look is uh, uh, unsafe AI. Is pardon? Unsafe AI. Unethical, unethical AI, all the biotechnology that is now evolving that, you know, where people are getting into our bodies and the political uh, system can then uh, control us everywhere we go. And uh, so these are other existential um, issues that we when it's not even on our radar. So from your perspective, where can we begin and uh, what would be the tipping point that will help bring the change in the right direction? First of all, I would add to your list issues of nuclear power and nuclear weaponry, which I believe poses just as much danger yep, and an area around which we have just as uh, much state of denial. Yep. Uh, in order for the tipping point, first of all, the fact that you even mentioned the tipping point. The tipping point, there are many theories about this, but I've never seen any number larger than 11%. And yes. some would put it at a much lower we tend to be too enamored by the concept of the majority. The majority is not what moves society. The majority in my country didn't wake up one day and decide to end slavery. They didn't wake up one day and decide to give women the right to vote. They didn't wake up one day and decide to desegregate the American South. Society changes because a small group of people, usually considered outrageous radicals by the status quo of their time, have a better idea. The issue is the difference between vertical change and horizontal change. When you think that social change occurs on the horizontal or external level only, then you're tempted to dumb down your message to get more people to agree with you. The way to change society is to go deep into the vertical and to have the deeper conversation among enough people who do get it, and that is a resonant field. An idea grows stronger when it's shared. And more and more people, and yourself and the Club of Rome is a perfect example, enough people now are gathering with a high level of not only intellectual understanding, but financial and material resources to operationalize some of these changes. So we have to be working on all cylinders at all times, because we have to add to the two things that I just said, the people who popularize these ideas, who make these ideas more mainstream, who communicate these ideas. And I believe all of that is happening right now. In a conversation you and I had earlier, you affirmed this. And in a very strange way, COVID is almost um, aiding this. A dress rehearsal. <laughs> well, what it, well, not only that, not only that, but there is so much superficial clutter that dominates our regular day-to-day lives normally that has fallen away. We, we run around so much. We're an adrenaline-based civilization, and in many ways, addictively so. And in many ways, we, we run around like chickens with our heads chopped off because we're avoiding the deeper work. The deeper work of looking not only at ourselves, but also at the state of the world. Because when we do that deeper work, it's not comfortable. Many of the things that you're talking about here are painful to look at and painful to think about how, my God, we should have been working on this stuff assiduously for the last 25 years. 
it's very easy to get depressed around those. But sometimes the fact that we're upset is a sign of mental health. The fact that we have not been upset about these things is the lack of mental health. So I think we all have to have compassion for ourselves, compassion for each other, but at the same time refuse to coddle, either in ourselves or in other people, the level of distractedness and superficial preoccupation which would keep us uh, from rising to the challenge uh, that we uh, face with at this time. The, this initiative, the high-level consultation of uh, the financial hub in the Club of Rome, um, has the intention to find ways to finance change in order to change finance as well. So, how, who, whom would you, who would you think we, should we partner with? What organizations or people, um, in order to uh, to get to that eleven percent tipping point or whatever it is? If it's less, uh, I should be very happy. Well, certainly in, in my country, there are alliances, even uh, de Tocqueville, uh, when he spoke about uh, America at the beginning, at the founding time of the founding of our nation, talked about how Americans have associations. Uh, we certainly have alliances. We certainly have groups. Um, and anybody who wants to find them on the Internet can, from environmental groups to economic equity groups to racial healing and reconciliation groups. Those groups exist in my country and in other countries. But I, I tend to think at least in the, in the United States right now. But these, this is global because this COVID is everywhere. There's an awakening, um, a frisson, among people that is not so much about outer work. You know, there's an inner work that precedes the outer work. Um, you have to have a deep hole in the ground before you can build a high building. And I feel that in the area of meditation, the area of deep reflection, the area of prayer. Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, said that every problem in the world stems from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Uh, in our loneliness, in our solitude, in our fear, in our reflection, we are reaching out to each other. You and me having this conversation is a bit of an example. We would have known about each other. We would have waved across the air. We would have known, you know, we were on the same track, but we might not have felt the necessity to connect. That's what's different now. The, the, that at this point, it's not so much an age of data collection. In many ways, the era of data collection is over. Now it's an age where do we have the courage to own what we know and to face the personal resistance, not just the economic resistance, the social resistance, the political resistance, but they, our own emotional and psychological resistance to showing up fully saying, whatever I can do in the time I have left on this earth, dear God of my understanding, use me. That's number one, the personal. And number two, collaboration. It's an age of collaboration now. You can do genius work. I can do, I don't think I do genius work, but I do the best work I can. But at a certain point, until and unless we collaborate with each other. You know, it's like in the body. Cells collaborate. Cells are assigned. Cells are assigned to the lungs. Cells are assigned to the heart. Cells are assigned to the bone. And they collaborate with each other to serve the healthy functioning of the organ and the organism of which they're part. When a cell refuses to do that, when it disconnects from its natural intelligence that leads to that collaborative matrix, that's called cancer, that's called a malignancy. What, what is happening spiritually is that that issue of disconnection from the collaborative matrix is a 
is a malignancy in consciousness as well as in the body. It is the malignant thought that it's all about me. That is what got us here, the malignant thought that it's all about me. In my country, we have always prided ourselves on um, rugged individualism, but the rugged individualism has become rugged narcissism. So now the corrective impulse is, what have you got? What have I got? How can we put together what you have with what I have and exponentially increase the effect? Because people are awakening to the fact that what that the cyst, all systems, whether it's the body or civilization, are endowed with an immune system. There's a bodily immune system, there's a psychic immune system, and there's an immune system within society. And each individual is an immune cell. And that awakening is taking place. Once that, that awakening takes place, our natural intelligence kicks in. And the best way, so that you would know where you go to the bone, you go to the lung, in societal terms means you help with education, you help with poverty, you help with economic systems, you help with climate change. And it is more than getting our guidance from external sources, it is a matter of prayer, meditation, the vertical work, even in, in personal terms that gives us greater insight, gives us greater clarity, gives us greater intuitive understanding, gives us greater probability of attracting the relationships uh, that would be most helpful and repelling the factors that would be harmful. Um, and everything that I just said, I believe is happening as we speak. Wow, this is a beautiful note that uh, we could end on because I, 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 I see it exactly as you do. And I think this is a wonderful way of getting rid of silos uh, that are yeah. ego driven and that have That's prevented right. us from uh, reaching out to each other uh, in, the, in the past. And, it, you know, it would elevate us to get to a level of transdisciplinarity, not even interdisciplinarity, but transdisciplinarity. Come up with I the second it. tier. Um, I'm with you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, my friend. It's an honor and a privilege to know you. And uh, this is, I believe, the beginning of um, a wonderful conversation and uh, work together because uh, we need to work together. And I would love to uh, to continue that. Thank you I so much for your time. Way, and I'm committed to that. And I look forward to the next time. We'll be in touch. Thank you so All much. Right. God bless you, Mariana. Bless Bye. you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. This is just the first in a new mini-series of high-level consultations by the Club of Rome. Subscribe now and allow notifications to see and hear new interviews as they come out. To stay up to date on Marianne Williamson, follow her on Twitter at M-A-R Williamson. For more information on Dr. Bosazan and her work, follow her at Mariana Bosazan and visit investment-turnaround.com. 